Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, Restoration Church. If you have your Bibles with you, will you open to Mark chapter 3 this morning? Mark chapter 3. It's so good to be with each and every one of you. If this is your very, very first time here at Restoration Church, I just want to welcome you. We are so glad that you are here with us and and joining us uh, in person. Uh, Also, if this is your very first time joining us online through YouTube and Facebook, we want to say welcome. Uh, Welcome to Restoration Church Online. We're so glad that you tuned in with us. And I just want to, again, uh, like each and every week, just say that we miss those of you, uh, Restoration family, uh, that were with us pre-COVID, uh, we hope that you guys are safe, and we hope to see you soon, uh, very, in, in person very soon. Uh, we're so excited again to continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through a uh, really verse-by-verse, section-by-section journey uh, through the Gospel of Mark, uh, and I really hope, uh, my prayer is, my hope is, that you have seen who Jesus is during this journey. You've seen, you've learned about him. Uh, you've learned what he's passionate about. You've learned uh, what, uh, what he's like. You've learned what, uh, what he came to do in this world. Um, and you've gotten to know Jesus more deeply through this journey uh, as we kind of go through the gospel of Mark. My hope and prayer is that you would just fall in love with him. Uh, that you would uh, get to know him better and deeper and really understand uh, who he is. And uh, like I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 today. I titled the message for today, What Makes Jesus Angry? What Makes Jesus Angry? Over the past couple of weeks and through our journey, uh, we have seen a series of confrontations that Jesus has with the religious leaders of the day. Uh, He's been having these confrontations with the Pharisees. Uh, For example, uh, the first confrontation was Jesus um, claiming to forgive sins, and the Pharisees didn't like that. Uh, The second confrontation and conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees was uh, that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, uh, and the Pharisees didn't like that as well. Uh, The third confrontation was that Jesus was not fasting according to the man-made religion and rituals and rules of the Pharisees, Uh, and so far Jesus has won every single confrontation. Uh, The fourth one, which we saw last week, uh, was the Pharisees um, uh, accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath for eating on the Sabbath. Uh, And so if you remember from last week, uh, these Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day would constantly add to God's word. They would constantly add to God's law, these man-made religion uh, and rituals and tradition, burdening the people of God. And today we're going to see another confrontation on the Sabbath, uh, most likely on the same day. And so far, the score is uh, Jesus 4, Pharisees 0. Jesus 4, Pharisees 0. They're, they're going to get skunked here. And we're going to see the fifth 
confrontation with the Pharisees. And after this, you're going to see the intensity uh, kick up. Uh, They're going to want to kill Jesus and destroy him. So things are going to get intense uh, moving on after this week. So if you have your Bibles, uh, read with me Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts. And he said to them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as we were singing um, just a few moments ago of your goodness. God, you are so good. You're a good father. You're a good God. You're a great God. We thank you that we have you in our lives. We thank you that you're a God who loves, who is gracious, and who is merciful. And God, you're good. You are faithful each and every day. You provide, you protect, you lead, and you guide. And God, I pray that you would guide us today in your word. That through the power of your spirit, through the illumination of your Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to your word today. May you teach us insights of your word to draw closer to you, to draw people closer to you. God, we love you and we want to know you deeper. And that is our prayer and that is our hope. Lead us and guide us together as a church, as a family. In your name we pray, amen and amen. I have a question for you this morning. What causes you to get angry? What what causes you to get angry? What are those things that really get under your skin. I mean, I know things are going on in your brain right now. What are those things that just, oh, they just kind of, you know, uh, you know, get, get you a little angry, get you a little, your, your, your temperature going, you know, your blood flow going. What are those things in your life that kind of get you a little angry? For me, there's a couple of things um, out of many things. Uh, lately, I don't know what's up with my phone, um, but whenever it's at 9%, it dies. And that just really ticks me off because it's, it's 9%. Like, it's not at zero, so why should you be dying? It probably doesn't help that I have a 6S, an iPhone 6S, or that I have an iPhone for you Google users. I know you're probably saying in your brain right now, that's probably why your phone is dying. If you had a, a Google phone, it probably wouldn't be dying at all. But that's, I just hate when that happens to my phone. Or I, I get really angry when... Uh, when there's people tailgating me, anybody else, anybody? I know there's some of you in here. When someone is tailgating and they're just riding on you, and it's such a weird thing for me that when someone is tailgating me, I just have this desire to slow down and look at the scenery. I mean, 
I don't know why, I just, I just kind of do that, just really slow down and, and go the speed limit and look at the scenery. Or uh, One of the things that get, gets me really angry is uh, I can't really grow a good beard. Okay, so those of you that have a beard, uh, my brother-in-law has an awesome beard. I'm a, little, I'm a little jealous of him, but I can't grow a really good beard. Uh, Christina always makes fun of me because it's never smooth. It just looks like a porcupine, and she's just like, don't do it. And every single year, like this year, I'm trying to grow out a beard, so if you have any tips, please let me know. But those are some things uh, that get me a little angry. You know, on a more serious note, man, one thing that just really gets me angry is uh, just, the, you know, the injustice uh, that happens to, to children. Anybody ever get angry at that? Just some of the things that we hear in our world today that just kind of, man, how, how can people be doing that to kids? How, how can be, people be doing, you know, s- s- these horrible, just tragic things to, to little kids? And, and just things like that, just that really gets me angry, it, really a righteous anger towards some of those things. What about you? What makes you angry? Uh, is it, you know, maybe someone who criticizes you? And instead of, you know, there, there's constructive criticism, and then there's like criticism, criticism. You know, maybe that kind of gets you a little angry, someone criticizing you. Maybe someone who talks over you, that's kind of your pet peeve, someone talking over you, or maybe not feeling heard, um, or, or maybe just even being on the phone uh, forever, like being on hold with customer service, like whatever happened to talking to real life people, right? Anybody going to get an amen for that? Like how, like we just, there's no people on the other line. And so you are on hold forever and ever. And then you finally get to something or someone and they transfer you, man, that just really gets me going. Maybe, you know, something that gets you a little angry is, is being told you're wrong when you know you're not. Like so when someone tells you that you're wrong, when you know 100% sure that you're not wrong, maybe gets you a little, little angry. Maybe feeling uh, someone ignoring you might get you a little angry. Maybe slow drivers, okay, like me, like myself, might get you a, a little angry. Be, be, being cut off, you know, when someone cuts you off, might get you a little angry. Or maybe when people don't use their blinkers. When people don't use their blinkers, that is me, so I'm sorry for those of you people that get really angry at people who don't use their blinkers. That is me. I apologize. I have a blinker problem. But there's all these things, whether serious or not serious, that really kind of get us angry. I mean, it's a part of being a human being it is getting a little angry. Did you know that Jesus was also angry? Like Jesus experienced anger. You know that? You see, a lot of the times we, we picture Jesus, I, like we have this picture of Jesus, you know, uh, holding this, this baby lamb, and he's so peaceful and loving. Like, like, I don't know why sometimes we picture Jesus that way. Like, Jesus is all love, and he's all peace. He's not confrontational. You know, he's holding this baby lamb, or he, that picture of, of all the kids running towards Jesus. And so we have this picture of Jesus that he's just so peaceful and, and so nice all the time. Like, he's only love. He's only peace. But man, when you look at the scriptures... Jesus was confrontational. There was some things that really ticked Jesus off. Like he got really, really angry. For example, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus enters the, the temple and he sees people, uh, you know, selling things. And, and, and he, he goes over and he, throw, he overturns the tables. Like he, he goes into the table and he starts flipping tables. I mean, if that's not confrontational, I don't know what is. 
And so people were defiling the temple, the sacred space, and Jesus got ticked off at that. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus got really ticked off at the Pharisees, and he confronts the religious leaders of the day for leading people away from him and burdening them with man-made rules and man-made religion. Uh, Here's some of the things that he called them. He called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He called them whitewashed tombs who appear beautifully outwardly, but inwardly are filled with dead man's bones. He called them serpents and brood, a brood of vipers. I mean, you ever heard of that? Remember that saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Man, those are some really tough words from Jesus. Jesus was confrontational. He never shied away from confrontation at all. There's some things that really angered him. It really angered Jesus. And so today what I want to do is I really want to focus on the only scripture in the New Testament that explicitly mentions that Jesus was angry. And that's our text for today. This is the only text in the New Testament in all of Scripture that explicitly says that Jesus was angry. There are other examples of Jesus being angry. We see his actions, but here we get this explicit statement as to uh, Jesus' anger. So again, Mark chapter 1, we're just going to go through this, this story here. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Uh, So Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples entered a synagogue. So most likely they they were they were on that same day as, as they had that that fourth encounter with the Pharisees uh, that, that you know the Pharisees tried to accuse them of of breaking the Sabbath because they were going through the grain fields eating uh, grain as they traveled. So that same day uh, they made their way into a synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, do you remember the last time that Jesus? was in the synagogue on a Sabbath. Do you remember that from, from our study in Mark? The last time that Jesus was in a synagogue on the Sabbath, the people were astonished at his preaching. They were amazed at his preaching. That same day, he also healed a man who was demon-possessed. So something always happens when Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. So he enters this synagogue, and Mark tells us that there was a man there. There was a man with a withered hand. Uh, In the same account, but in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that it was his right hand. So Luke gives us more detail about this man's hand. And I think the reason why Luke tells us that it was his right hand, because most likely this this man was right-handed, and this man needed his right hand to work. That's how he would provide for his family. So it, that's how he would you know, have a job and, and to be able to use his hands. And it, it's a big deal for this man to have a withered hand. Not only that, uh, but it was very custom during those days for people to lift their hands in prayer. And just the embarrassment possibly of this, this man with a withered hand lifting up his hands in prayer. So this man was in, was in need uh, for his hand to be healed. Extra biblical tradition says that this man was actually a stonemason. 
And so his hand withered away over time, making him a beggar. And, uh, and so this man is in, is in some serious need here, this man with a withered hand. And then Mark tells, him, Mark tells us that as Jesus and his disciples were in the synagogue, the Pharisees begin to watch Jesus. Uh, they begin to watch Jesus to see what he would do. Notice that the Pharisees here were watching, to, were watching Jesus to see if he would heal not if he could heal. That's what Mark says. He says that they watched Jesus to see whether, whether he would heal. The question wasn't about could he heal? It's would he? Would Jesus heal? We know that, that Jesus could heal. The religious leaders of the day knew that Jesus could heal, but would he? And they were watching him like a hawk. They were watching him. And again, Mark tells us in verse 2 that this happens on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that was supposed to be kept holy. No work should be done on the Sabbath. Absolutely no work should be done on the Sabbath unless it meant saving a life. And so this man with the withered hand, he's not in serious danger. He's he's not in uh, in serious life-saving, in life-saving circumstances. And the Pharisees were watching him to see if Jesus would heal this man and therefore break the man-made laws of the Pharisees. Mark tells us here that the reason why they were watching him was so that they could accuse him. The reason that they were watching Jesus was so they could accuse Jesus. This term here is actually a very technical term. Essentially, they were seeking to mount a legal case against Jesus, to collect evidence to then take him to court and get him crucified. You see, it's kind of like those TV shows that you see or, or movies where you see an undercover detective. Uh, he's he's out, outside of a building or outside of a home, and then they kind of wait there the whole night for hours and hours, and finally they start seeing some action, and what do they do? They start building evidence. They start taking pictures of the illegal crimes that are happening and going on. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were just watching him. They were building evidence against, and they were building a case against Jesus. And you see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were so upset at Jesus because he would continually undermine their traditions. He would continually undermine their man-made rules. And they believed that Jesus' healing on the Sabbath was a form of work, therefore violating the Sabbath. And so they were, they were watching him to accuse him. So what happens next in verse 3, Mark tells us, And he said to, to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's being watched, and he knows he's being watched by the religious leaders of the day. And what does Jesus do? What does he do? He tells the man with the withered hand to come forward. He tells him to come forward. 
This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus initiates a healing without being asked. The only place in Scripture where Jesus initiates a healing without being asked. The man didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Jesus initiated the healing. Why? Because Jesus was about to get confrontational with the Pharisees. Jesus was about to go at it with the Pharisees. I mean, Jesus could have healed this man on a different day because it was not a life-threatening issue. Jesus could have healed this man in private, but he didn't. What does Jesus do? He says, come here. He's like, stand in the front, in front of all the people in the synagogue. He brings him to the very, very front, and he intends to confront these religious leaders. I want to just stop here for a second, and I want to point something out. Do you notice the grace of God here? Do you notice the gospel in this story? That that this man with a withered hand didn't go to Jesus, didn't initiate that healing, that Jesus first said, come here. And that's the gospel. We can't go to God unless God calls us first. You see, John chapter 6, verse 44 says that no one can come to me, to Jesus, unless the Father draws them to him. That we cannot go to Christ unless the Father calls us and draws us to Jesus. And that's what we see here, the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. Come here. He's calling this man to him. It's a, it's God's, it's a display of God's grace. And after Jesus calls this man with the withered hand forward, he asks the Pharisees, he says, is it lawful then on the Sabbath, he says, to do uh, to do good or to do harm or to save a life or to kill? He asks him this, this question. And so Jesus frames this, this question in terms of polar opposites. The, the first question that Jesus asks here, whether it is permitted to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath, directs, uh, relates directly to the healing of the man. To heal this man would obviously be a good deed. To leave him unhealed would show a lack of compassion and evil. So this first question dealt more with the man. But the second question, to save a life or to kill a life, I mean, this dealt more with the Pharisees. If it is right to do good, uh, to do good and wrong to do evil on the Sabbath, then it is even more right to save a life and it is even more wrong to kill on the Sabbath. So this question goes beyond the healing of the man and it alludes to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that we're going to see in verse 6 that are plotting to destroy and to kill Jesus. And so the point here that Jesus is trying to make is it is always good to do good on the Sabbath. It is always okay to do good on the Sabbath. It is always wrong to do evil on the Sabbath. It is always wrong to, to, to try to kill on the Sabbath. You should always seek to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus put, a, Jesus 
really cornered the Pharisees. If, if they would answer, well, it's okay to do good, then that means that they would break the Sabbath law. And if they answered, well, it's okay to do evil, then obviously it would display their lack of compassion. And so the scriptures tell us that they were silent. They were completely silent. In the Greco-Roman rhetoric, to silence an opponent was a way of shaming them and so winning a debate. And so Jesus has already won this debate five to zero. Jesus five, Pharisees zero. They were silent, completely silent, which also displayed, it was a display of their hardness of heart. Then after they were silent, didn't answer to Jesus, Mark tells us that he looked around at them with anger. I mean, just, just place yourself in that situation for just a moment. You're in the synagogue, you're worshiping, Jesus comes in, you've heard about this guy, that he's a healer, that he, that, that he heals the blind, that he forgives sins, that he casts out demons. You're in the synagogue and, and you know the Pharisees are there. And next thing you know, you see that man that you saw around all the time with the withered hand and, and Jesus calls this man forward. And you hear the exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees and you're there. And you know there's some tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he looks at these religious leaders. That's what Mark tells us. That he looks around at them with anger. With anger. I don't think Jesus just looked at them. I think Jesus looked through them. He looked through them to see, to see what was inside of their hearts. This word anger means strong displeasure. It means strong displeasure. Jesus was not pleased with the actions and the attitude of these religious leaders. That for them, it was more important to keep these man-made rules and to love someone who was in need. And so Jesus was angry. So what made Jesus angry? Here it is. Mark tells us, he was aggrieved at their hardness of hearts. What makes Jesus angry? Hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. What does a hardened heart mean? What does hardness of heart mean? It means spiritual blindness. It means active resistance to God's purpose and will. It means that it is an unwillingness to understand God and his word. An unwillingness to love God's people and to love rules and rituals and traditions more than God's people themselves. It is an indifference towards God, an attitude of carelessness towards God and the things of God. It is an attitude that focuses on rules instead of relationships. It is focusing on the externals while neglecting the internals. Jesus was angry at the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. Jesus is angry that the religious leaders were placing limits on things that didn't need to have limits, on when we should do good to people, when we should serve people, when we should save people, when we should 
do good to others and be compassionate and express love and empathy to a fellow image bearer. You know what's really interesting too? Is that Jesus was never ever angry at sinners. You really can't find anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus was angry at sinners. He was never angry at tax collectors. He was never angry at prostitutes. He was never angry at anyone. He was gracious and loving to people. But man, those religious leaders, those religious leaders with hardened hearts, he was angry. He was upset. And so Jesus is angry at hardened hearts. And the truth is that you and I, each and every one of us are not immune to the hardness of hearts. Actually, later on in Mark chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus' own disciples had hardened hearts at some point. You and I, we're no different. You and I, we could, if we're not careful, our heart can be hardened towards God, towards the things of God, towards the people of God, towards the word of God. Over the years, I've just seen, even in my own life, sin hardened my heart people's heart, pride hardens hearts, circumstances and situations where you thought God was going to come through and he didn't, or he didn't come through in the time you wanted him to or in the way you wanted him to. And if we're not careful, man, our heart could be hardened and bitter and angered towards God. Trust me, I'm telling you from experience. So we have to watch our heart. Then what happens? Mark tells us that this man came forward. He stretched out his hand and Jesus restored this man's withered hand. Jesus was not going to let the man-made rules of the Pharisees stop him from doing good on the Sabbath. He restored this man's hand. The word restored means to to change to an earlier state. He completely restored it. Who knows what happened to this man's hand? Maybe it was an accident or some kind of disease, but Jesus restored it to its original state. Let me ask you something. What has withered in your spiritual life that you need God to restore? What has withered? Is something withered inside of you? that you need God to restore? Maybe your passion for God has withered. Your passion for people might have been withered. Your passion for his word might have withered over time. Maybe there's an an indifference in your heart towards God, a carelessness, uh, you know, just a complacency, a boredom, maybe even with your relationship with God. I'm bored, I'm just bored. What does God need to restore in your soul, in your life this morning? After he heals them, notice what happens. Verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. This is very, very interesting. Let me tell you why. Because the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. I mean, they absolutely hated each other. 
The Herodians, they were wealthy and influential supporters of the Herods and their dynasty. And the Herodians were supportive of this Greco-Roman influence upon their life. They supported Roman rule and they gave financially to the Romans. These are things that the Pharisees hated. The Pharisees were, were opposed to Rome. They didn't want any Greco or Roman influences uh, you know, coming into the, to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other, absolutely hated each other. So it's so interesting that here we find them coming together. Why? Because they both hate Jesus. They have a common enemy. And they don't want to silence Jesus. They want to kill him. They want to destroy Jesus. But what irony, just just think about it, what irony, what hardness of heart do these religious leaders have? That it's, hey, Jesus, it's not okay for you to heal a man on the Sabbath, but it's okay for us to plot your murder. Isn't that interesting? Don't, don't, you can't eat on the Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. But boy, are we going to plan and kill you and send you to the cross? The hardness of heart. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean then for you and I? The opposite of hard is soft. And so we must maintain a soft heart. We must not let our hearts get hardened towards God and toward the things of God. If you've ever had uh, heart issues, if you've ever known anyone to have some heart issues, one of the uh, tests that they like to do is is an EKG, which measures um, electrical activity in a person's heartbeat. I mean, there's tons of heart tests that, that people can go through, that people can take. And I believe that this morning we need a spiritual EKG on our own heart. And I want to ask you three questions today, three questions that you could take notes of. And, and just as you leave and as, as you go throughout the week, ask yourself these three questions. Number one, is my heart hardened towards the Son of God? Is my heart hardened towards the Son of God? Think about that. The religious leaders of the day wanted to kill Jesus. The religious leaders of the day were in rebellion against Jesus. So is our heart hardened towards the Son of God? God, I'm in rebellion against you. I've become bored with you. I have some bitterness towards you, some anger towards you. What is in your heart when it comes to Jesus himself? Number two, Is my heart hardened towards the people of God? Is my heart hardened towards the people of God? Again, look at the Pharisees. They cared more about the Sabbath than this man with the withered hand. They were so focused on these rules instead of this relationship with this man. My heart hardened towards the people of God. Do I love people like I should? Am I gracious to people like I should? Do I care about people like God cares about them? Am I gracious to people? Or is there some type of just hardness, bitterness, 
animosity towards someone. And if there is towards a person, man, I just want to encourage you to go make that right. Go make that right. Go ask for forgiveness. Go talk to them. Make it right. Number three, and lastly, is my heart hardened towards the word of God? Is my heart hardened towards the word of God? The religious leaders of the day would constantly add to the word of God. They misinterpreted the word of God. They held their tradition and experience to a higher level than the word of God. They were so focused on rules and rituals and right and wrong and do's and don'ts. Their man-made do's and don'ts. that They completely neglected the holy scriptures of God. Is my heart hardened towards the word of God? God, I know your word says that you're going to be there and you're never going to leave me or forsake me. But for some reason, I can't feel you today. I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like you've left me. And I just don't know if I can trust you anymore. I don't know if your word is true. I, I, I know you say you love me, but I just don't think you do. If you loved me, then you wouldn't allow me to go through something like this. God, you said you were going to give me peace, but I just don't feel it right now. And therefore, I just can't trust your word. I can't go to your word. Is there a hardness of heart towards the word of God? Here's the big idea for today. If I could just kind of summarize this into one main solid point, here it is. To keep your heart soft towards God, towards the Son of God, the people of God, and the Word of God. It's that simple. It's the main point, the main idea, to keep your heart soft towards the Son of God, the people of God, and the Word of God. Jesus was angry at the hardened hearts of people the hardened hearts of the religious leaders of the day. And it is our job to keep our hearts soft towards the Son of God, the people of God, and the Word of God. And honestly, these days, doesn't our world need more soft hearts? Like our world right now needs soft hearts. It needs hearts that are obedient to God in a chaotic world. Uh, this world with so much division and animosity, it's, it's crying out for soft hearts of believers to go out and love people, regardless of what they look like, where they're from, what they believe. That's what our world needs these days, is the soft hearts. Our world needs the word of God, the living and active word of God that can transform lives. Our world needs soft hearts, not hardened hearts. And lastly, I just want to say, as I mentioned earlier, that Jesus was never angry at sinners, tax collectors, and all those bad people, ever. And maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're going to watch a little later throughout the week. And you're like, man, Jesus doesn't love me. Jesus is angry at me. Jesus hates me. If I go to church, man, I'm going to burn. Jesus was never angry at sinners. If anything, he welcomed them. He ate with them. 
And he offers the forgiveness of sin. He offers eternal life. He offers eternal hope, eternal joy. He offers peace. He takes what is withered in your life, everything about your life, and restores it, makes it new, makes it better than new. So Jesus does. So have comfort that Jesus loves you, that he cares for you, he has a purpose for you, and that if you would place your faith in Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you would experience the forgiveness of sin. That you would have this assurance of eternal life. That you would be into the kingdom of God. If you would repent and believe. He loves you and he cares for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I know it's a topic that we don't really discuss, that Jesus is angry. How weird is that? but it's in your word. And we find great comfort in it. We find great joy in it. We find comfort in the fact that you are never angry at sinners. You loved them, that you went to them, that you didn't turn your back on sinners that you went to the cross for them, for us, for me. And it challenges us to keep our hearts soft, to be obedient to you, to love people, to trust in your word, because your word reveals who you are. It's a revelation of your nature. You are good, that you are faithful, you never fail, that you love us, that you care for us. So God, we thank you. God, I pray that you would continue to protect our families during this crazy season. Protect us, most importantly, spiritually from the attacks of the enemy. Protect our homes, protect our kids, protect our families, our spouses. Protect us physically as well. Protect us, God. Protect our loved ones. Be with us. Lead us and guide us. And we thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.